right. Hey, you guys, thanks so much. Uh, I'm going to pull out my phone, not because I want to play on my phone. You know, I want to... Uh, I want to make sure I stick to my time. So, um, it is a privilege and honor to be here. First, I want to say uh, thanks to the Ballsers, you guys. Um, I know last time I came, I didn't get a whole bunch of time with them, but I, I really appreciate you guys, admire what you've done, what you do. And, um, you know, I know being the minister sometimes is a challenge. And uh, the challenge is, you know, like, you want to save everyone. You want to save the whole world. Yeah. And, uh you know, God has His plan. So thank you guys for, for what you do. Also, I want to thank the Slaters. You know, they are my best friends. I got a chance to spend the night at their house and uh, eat their food and play with their dogs and listen to Claire's music. It was two dogs. Yeah. You know, listen to Claire's music. And, you know, it was really, really awesome. So thank you guys for hosting me, taking care of me. I uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, the Hollies, I'm going to take them with me. All right. Uh, back to the answer. Uh, when Mike was saying, you know, he's an elder, the Hollies, you know, like, you're not old enough to be an elder. Like, yeah, I like them, you know. <laughs> so uh, I will take those guys. So everyone here, I, I just really honored to uh, be here, get an opportunity to speak. So hopefully, prayerfully this morning, the things I share will be helpful. Um, I think about this story that I heard. You know, there's a minister in a traditional church, and he was standing reading a plaque from World War II. This little five-year-old, he comes right up next to the minister, and he stares at the minister, and he stares at the plaque, and he's there for a few moments. So then he said, Pastor, he goes, what are you reading? And the pastor said, I'm reading about all the people that fell asleep during the war, you know, lost their lives during the war. And the little kid said, well, he said, lost, you know, during World War II, the kid said, uh, during the service. He says, so what service? Was it like the 10 or the 11 o'clock service? You know, so I hope this morning that I don't bore you to death that someone's going to die. But I'm going to jump into right what I want to talk about. Title this morning is God's Impact is Obvious. Let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, I've been a disciple for 30 years. And I was converted as a sophomore in college at Florida State. And I'm eternally grateful for the brother who reached out to me in college. I'm so grateful. You know, my story was, my sophomore year in college, I moved off campus. And so, you know, I was only, what, 19 years old. You had to be 21 years old to drink. So I went over to the local convenience store, and I lied. I said, you know, I put my beer on the counter. The lady said, may I see some ID? I said, I left my ID at home. She says, no. So I tried to persuade her. She said, no. So I put the beer back. I left. I walked through my apartment complex. I cut through the pool. And what do I see? There's this tall African-American guy at the pool with his kids. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask him, excuse me, sir. Would you go and buy this six-pack of beer for me across the street because I forgot my ID? So, you know, going up to the guy, I said, hey, how you doing? My name's Greg. What's your name? He goes, hey, my name's Sam Powell. What's your, you know? And I said, uh, oh, great. I said, I said, you live in the apartment complex? He goes, yeah, you know, here are my two daughters. And he went on, he went on. And I was about to throw in my proposition. Before I could throw in my proposition, he threw in his proposition. He said, you know, I'm a minister here at the church. <laughs> and he invited me to church. He invited me to a Bible discussion. 
And I never brought up my beer proposal to him. Now, I didn't go to church until like a couple weeks later. But you know, I went and my life was forever changed. I went to a church and it was predominantly a white church. Sam's a black minister leading a predominantly white church. I didn't didn't like the singing. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't gospel music that I was used to in my mom's Baptist church. But my life was changed forever. Because there are things that I saw and learned. Because God's impact was very obvious. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to spend our entire time in 1 Thessalonians. He says in verse 1, You know, brothers and sisters, now I have the 2010-13 version of the NIV. I really love the old 1984, but you know, so I got the new version. So if you guys have an older version, it's okay, just follow along with me, it'll work. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result or failure in the older version. We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God... We dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. He says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. He says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people or man, but God. He goes on, he says, who tests our hearts. Verse 5, you know, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask of greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people or men, not from you or anyone else, even though as God's apostles in Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you each as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human words, but as it actually is the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You know, I love so much, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, So if you go to Acts chapter 17, he talks about this great church. He talks about this church, and you know, at Thessalonica, he said, you know, the Bereans, they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. You know why? Because they received God's message with great eagerness. They examined the scriptures every single day to see 
if what Paul said was true. So when you go to Acts, you realize he's talking to this church and he's not using them as the great example. He goes, no, no, the Bereans, Thessalonians. Now, they are a good example. It would be as if I came in here and said, hey, you know, there's this other church, Burlington, that was a better example. And there isn't one. You guys are pretty awesome. But it's interesting when he writes a letter to them, though, he reminds them. He starts off, he says, listen, our visit was not a failure. God's impact was obvious. It's 30 years as a Christian. The question I have to ask myself, is it obvious that God's impact is occurring in my life? Not just in my early days in my story I could share about trying to get a minister to buy me a six-pack. And all the changes I've made, is it obvious today? So for us who've been disciples for a while, is it obvious? Is it continuously obvious? For those who are young disciples, is it obvious? And if you are studying the Bible, you need to ask yourself, is it obvious? Is it obvious that God is in my life? Point number one. There is an audience of one. Paul had an audience of one. And it will make sense in my title later on. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Look what he says. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But, with the help of our God, we dare to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. He goes on to say, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Audience of one. God was the one who helped him. The approval was of God's approval. He says, our goal was to please God. Verse 5. Paul says to the church in verse 5, he goes, You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Can you imagine, as a disciple, you're in a town, in a church, and you're preaching And your emphasis is God's watching me. God sees me. God is helping me. I walk into a town. I don't need anyone else's approval. But God's approval. He says in verse 10. You are witnesses. And so is God. Of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. God's approval. God was his witness. There was an audience of one for Paul. It was obvious, I'm sure, to the people. Because he even said early on, you know the challenges we faced? It was a challenge. It was not as if we came into town, we were giving away concert tickets. You know, I'm on my drive up here, and I'm listening to uh, Kids Run Away from Boston. I knew that it was going to run out sooner or later. And they have, I guess maybe it was 945, one of them, but they have their jingle ball coming out. Now they're going through some of the artists, and I actually like, you know, some of the artists. 
So as a runner, my favorite move music is hip hop music. I mean, it has to be clean, but I love hip-hop music. So I was telling the Slaters yesterday, my new favorite song, and I can't even remember it. My new favorite song was, um, I just heard it yesterday, was, um, I got on my phone here. Anyway, I got a new favorite song. And then there's a song called Gold by someone named Sierra. So on the way here, I listened to it about 20,000 times. I'm not lying. I listened to it about 20,000 times. And I thought, boy, it would be so awesome if I could win tickets to the Jingle Ball. Now, there are other artists I care very little about. The name of the song is uh, Don't Let Me Down. I listened to it over and over and over and over and over and over. And I thought, you know, if I had a chance, I'd show up at the van. I'd go stand in the crowd of people for him to toss free tickets to me. You know, when Paul came to town, it was not that type of reception. Because, you know, people were not clamoring to attend his sermons. Verse 12. It's interesting what he says in verse 12. He says, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul had an audience of one. He was convinced that God was watching. Watching what he said, watching what he did, and watching how he did it. You know what God thought was most important? Let me ask this morning us. Whose opinion matters most to you? Whose opinion matters most? Right. I also shared with the Slaters, you know, yesterday morning before coming here, we did a food drive. And I'm standing outside of this grocery store, and I'm asking people if they would go into the store and purchase items to donate so that we can give it to a food pantry. Here is my confession. I've been in Cyprus for 30 years. I did not want to be there. Inside, I was like, I do not want to be here asking people to donate food to a food pantry. And then the very first person I had to invite or say something to, I felt so awkward. And then there's a couple people I let them pass by. I didn't say one word to them. Some people are like, good morning, how you doing? I'm thinking they'll see my signs and all the stuff that I have on here. And then I got convicted. I thought, why is it so vital to me that I care about what these people think? I don't know them. They don't know my name. I have never seen them before. I probably will never see them again. You know what I really wanted? I wanted a sign in front. And I wanted to say, I'm really not asking for the food for me. You know, I got a real job. And I pay my stuff, and I'm really not poor or needing very much. I thought, how terrible. I, this is true. This is my confession this morning. It was terrible. I said, you know, that isn't right. So, what is God asking me to do? I go, I'm going to talk to every person that walks past this table. I am going to beg as if my family needed these, this food. Let me ask you this morning, as Christians, whose opinion matters most? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? 
Maybe it's the minister of the church. Maybe it's our boss. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your classmate. You know, I appreciate my son. He played basketball for USM. And they traveled. My son didn't get, he didn't become a disciple until his senior year of high school. You know, it was a challenge for him. He was a, he was the highest scorer, top rebounder for University of Southern Maine. And uh, he would share with me, it was a challenge. And this is the conversation we would have. I know what it's like to be a 20 year old or 21 year old. Everyone likes you. So I show up on campus and the president of the school's like, hey, we're going to have a good game tonight, right? So we're walking around with him, and there are people, professors we would meet, and they would know his name. And I said to my son, do you know them? He goes, Dad, I have no idea who they are. You know, the challenge for him was, whose opinion matters? Son, you will stop playing in four years. Those people will not remember you. You will alter your life and change all for them. But I appreciate his heart. It was a battle. So this morning... Does God's opinion matter most to you? Because it's clear for Paul that it matters most. And the answer to that question is not how you feel this morning. And it's not even what you think. The answer to that question is, how have you lived? You realize that? Paul could have stepped in and said, hey, I ma- it matters what God thinks of me. Didn't share his faith at all. How about it, Christians? Do we share our faith? Or is it now like, oh, that's what the... Ch-. No, do you share? Because you realize people need God. Or perhaps the world has squeezed us to the point where, hey, religion is personal. I mean, we're in an age where politics... We have politicians who can say absolutely anything in the world. And we may not like it, but we feel like it's their freedom. And you and I as Christians can stand up and say something about Jesus and you feel like it ain't right. That's it. Because people are offended. I'm offended by a lot of things that I see. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so the answer to that question isn't what you think. I think God is first in my life. I think I'm doing it right. Why are you doing it? Are you saying it? Brothers and sisters, are we letting people in our lives? You know, we have this married group. And um, every Tuesday, we get together. We've done this for eight years. And now, you know, the group has changed. So now this group is maybe like four or five years. Every Tuesday, this group meets. And the group wants to meet. We used to meet every other week, once a month. They're like, no, no, no. We want to do this every single week. This is not our midweek. This is what we do. How about every, we always do a series. Jake, who we just hired as the minister there, Jake goes, Greg, I don't understand. So how do you get a group of married people excited about meeting on Tuesday nights to talk about marriage? (laughs) Guys, they love it. So much so, there's a couple, a young couple, that got reached out to by someone in Massachusetts. They called me up and said, hey, we have this couple, they love to come to church, can you reach out to them? Of course I will. You know how I feel when you get a, you get a phone call. Like, you're, like, you're hoping they're open. Call this couple. They, they came. We started studying the Bible. Brad told me, I do not believe in God. The wife, and Brad's 30, she's 26. And she said, I believe in God. I grew up Catholic. So we started studying the Bible. Every week. Did it for two months. And after two months, he said, okay, I'm about 60% there. 
I said, hey, you guys, I want to invite you to our married group. Every the last week of the month, we always invite friends to come to our married group. And he goes, really? Can we come all the time? I was like, well, no, I can't come all the time. And there's a reason why I said no. See, now our married group, people want to join it. And we're like, okay, there are rules. If you join this married group, you've got to come every week. This is optional. You've got to come every week, and you have to be open. We will not have anyone in the group who will not share about their marriage. We're not looking for you to share like deep details, but as we're discussing as a group, you have to be open also. If you're willing to do that, you can join our group. So this couple shows up. So happened the night that we were, we were discussing, we were talking about our physical relationship. There's a booklet we're reading, and I gave them a booklet. They show up at our meeting. We're sitting around this fire, this little patio. We have a fire outside. I didn't realize they were completely floored. Because we all shared about our lives. I'm like, hey, I'm almost 50. Been married for 25 years. Here's where we are. We have some good, some bad, some challenges. You know, others share. And we got people who've been married for 8 years, 12 years, 7 years, you name it. How about the... That was on a Tuesday night. We studied the Bible on Thursday. I want to become a Christian. You guys, wow. two weeks after the married group, they became disciples. Wow. He pushed. And what he shared with me, he said, we... We're going to get divorced. If it was not for studying the Bible or the married group, we would have separated at this point. They are 30 and 26 years old. They've been married for two and a half years. I share that. Not because I did anything. I share that because I believe the power of the group, it was obvious to that guy. Obvious. We shared our weaknesses and we seemed so happy about it. We shared about our marriages and the challenges we face. So, what about us? I believe some of the challenges because we go through hardships. And when we go through hardships, we totally take the focus off of God. The tendency, I think, for us, and I put myself in this, is we ask God crazy questions. Things like, why was I born this way? Why did, you, why did my dad or mom or someone treat me this way? Why did you do this or why did you do that? Why am I missing out on all the great blessings in life, Christians? You know, the world seems like they have so much fun. The world don't have the pressure to have to get the message out. You're right, they don't. And what I learned is that we see Fuzzy the Ugly Cocoon. What God sees is God has a plan that sets in motion and He sees a butterfly. We see the painful, awful process. God is producing the value of the product. We see today, God is working for forever. We get caught up in the wrappings. God is focused about the present that's inside of the wrapping. You know, we look at the external. God is emphasizing the internal. He makes everything beautiful in its time. You know what I realized is that when we real when we have an audience of one, God does amazing things. You know, anthropology is that there's evidence that in every culture, every culture that ever exists, they have a God given innate sense of an eternal, 
an eternal purpose, that this world is not all that there is. You realize that? No matter what culture you go to, it may not be the God we worship, but everyone has a sense that there is something else. Augustine wrote, he says, God, you have made us for yourselves. And our hearts are restless until we find peace in you. Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that cannot be filled by any creature or created being, but by God alone, made through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to read a story. So there was this kid, David, true story. He had leukemia. He was taken to Mass General Hospital in Boston to see Dr. Truman, who specialized in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. Dr. Truman's prognosis, it was devastating. He has a 50-50 chance. You know, poor guy, he went to countless clinics. He had countless, uh, countless blood tests. And there was, it was so painful that his mom could barely stand it. Well, David, it was his name, he never cried in the waiting room. Although his friends in the clinic had to hurt him and stick needles in him, you know, he was a tough little kid. Well... This happened because when he was three years old, David had a spinal tap. And it was a very painful procedure. And this is what it was explained to him. That because he was sick, Dr. Truman had to do something to make him better. And they said, it's going to hurt. Remember though, he's doing it because he loves you. And his mom remembers at three years old, the process was horrible. It took three nurses to hold David still while he yelled and he sobbed and he struggled and he cried. When it was almost over, David soaked in sweat and tears, true story, looked up at Dr. Truman and he said, Thank you, Dr. Truman, for my hurts because you love me. As Christians, we go through challenges. Are you convinced that God loves you? I don't have an answer and I don't know the reasons why. But I know that if we, like Paul, had our heart that there's only an audience of one. That is the only opinion that matters. An audience of one. And the second thing I want you to remember... It's, it's Paul's writing. He said, his gospel produces change. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 2. He says, we have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel. His gospel. So not only is it an audience of one, but it is God's gospel. Verse 4. He said, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You get I mean, like, can you imagine how awesome he must feel realizing that God trusts him? He goes, I'm approved by God. Not only am I approved, but God has given me the gospel. He goes, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 8 he says, so we care for you 
Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel. Verse 9, he says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Verse 13, he goes, And we also thank God continually because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as human words, but as it actually is the word of God. Amen. Can you imagine you walk into a city and you go, you know what, first of all, it only matters what God thinks about me. Not that things don't hurt. Clearly he was hurt. He was beaten. People said things that hurt his feeling. But you go, he goes, all right, you know, I can get up and I can make it from this. Because only matters what God thinks of me. And then, not only am I inspired by that, but if the change is going to be obvious, I've got to preach the gospel. You guys realize it's 30 years as a Christian. I've been discipled by so many different people. And that's a good thing. I've learned so much. The one constant in my life is the gospel. You know, as the world changes, opinions change. The one constant is the gospel. It has never changed. So when I was converted as this 19-year-old kid, I had no idea where I was going to live. No idea what I was going to do. I didn't want to be the minister. I wanted to be President Obama. I wanted to be President of the United States. At my baptism, I remember after the baptism, we were all talking. And people said, so what's your goal in life? I go, I want to be the first black president of the United States. Come on. That was my dream. This is my goal. Do it. I had no desire to be a minister. It was neutral. I had no dream of being an elder in a church. And no, I didn't even know where I was going to live. But you know what changed my life is the gospel. Amen. You remember your baptism? You remember what you changed? Can you imagine if we were all in your study and you had to confess those sins and talk about all the things that you did wrong that really hurt God? You remember that moment? I remember my moment. Here I am 30 years later. Do I remember that moment? I need to remember that moment. Not because I think God wants me to be sad. It's it's not an issue of sad. It's an issue of gratitude. I look at that moment and I'm in awe of what God has done. You know, there are scriptures like 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scriptures are God-breathed. And they are useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I ask you, Christian, do you believe the Bible is from God? I had a young man who told me on UNH campus last week that he thought it was ludicrous. That I would believe that man has not changed the words of the Bible. It's just crazy to think that. But it's interesting, he believed in the God. And he believed that this God created the universe and the world. So there's a God who can actually create heaven and earth, and He makes mankind. And you know, it's so vast that in our lifetime, even if I got in a ship, I could never go beyond my Milky Way. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So you believe a God who could do all of that, and yet He can't make sure His Word is preserved in the book? 
I was sort of blown away. I'm like, I, I don't understand that kind of faith or therefore that kind of lack of faith. Yeah. Do you believe it? He also says in Hebrews, he talks about how God's Word is alive. The Word of God is living and active. He says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And then it says, it, the Bible judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He goes, you know, the Bible is the standard. What you think, the Bible determines if it's good or bad. You know, I just thought about it. I didn't actually do it. Yeah, and that, my friend, is where the battle lies. He says, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes to my feelings. Well, you know, I really can't help that I don't, you know, I really can't help. I'm really mad at this person. Like, no, no, you you, you better help. Well, you know, I, I, I just don't like these particular people. And then you're asking our Father to forgive your sins? And this person? You don't actually like them? And we've got to be careful. The world says, you know, I don't have to love them, but, you know, I don't really love them, but I sort of like them. Can you imagine? If God said to me, he goes, Greg, I don't really like you, but I love you. Or he goes, you know, I, I love you because, you know, you're part of mankind, but I don't really like you. Can you imagine being around someone who didn't like you? Paul was not mincing words with the church. He says, listen, this gospel, it produces change. Like it or not, Thessalonians, this is what it is. Is that God's word is the agent of change. Could you and I, like Paul say, this gospel is producing change in our lives? I ask myself often, Greg, how much are you changing? How long has it really been since I've made some great changes? And don't get me wrong, I'm not here to say that if you don't change, God doesn't love you. My salvation is not based on how much I change. Don't get me wrong, it really isn't. But because I love God, I want to change. How about our marriages in this room? I want to ask you, how how are we doing? Is it a truce? Won't say anything? It should be so obvious to the world. It should be obvious to God. But I love my marriage. I got some things to work on. I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. That's the only way we're going to get better. The thing is, I've been married for 25 years. If my marriage is, is it ultimately where it's going to be, can you imagine if, I get, if, I, if I'm alive to, to 50-year marriage? It's boring. It's dead. Because, you know, the pinnacle of my marriage was at 25 no, the pinnacle is growing. It's changing. Right. You know what about our parenting, parents? You know, in the old days, I know we got a lot of input about parenting, and there's a lot of good to it. There's not so good, but you know, the pendulum has swung totally. Are you open to getting discipling about your children? I remember my daughter, five years old. She was strong-willed. I remember she was running down the hallway at midweek. And I will never forget, and I appreciate, this couple of Jim and Helen Linehan. I remember Helen Linehan pulled us aside. She goes, can I give you guys some input on your kid? We're like, sure, please. It wasn't the input I thought I wanted. Because I thought the issue was my daughter. You know, I realized the issue was 
was me and my wife. Changed our lives. Now I look and I'm grateful for what God has done. So how about it? What about our relationships? Are we open? Are we open to get input? You know what I love about the church? The church is a hospital. It is. The world says the church is the building where the perfect people go. Run. Do not go to that church. The church is a hospital. Because guess what? We're all sick. And in this hospital, we have weaknesses. So in this hospital, things don't always work out well. But if we can remember, the agent of change is the scriptures. Are we running to those scriptures to say, hey, i got to work on some things. you got to work on some things. I think about college students. You know, what about your relationship with the world? It is easy. Life has not changed much. Yeah, you know, we got new technology. And I, I'm the guy who I love new technology. I'm a texter to the day I die. I'm like, text on. I love texting. I'd rather text you than have a phone call. Depending on what the topic is. I, you know, I love it. I love that you know, I can get all my hip-hop music as I run. It's awesome. Technology is great. But you know, also, the world has changed. And I think young people, you guys think some of us old people, like, we're not very brilliant. You know, we, we probably aren't. You guys are definitely smarter. The millennials, if you guys know, the largest uh, generation right now ever in America. They're also the uh, generation that will be the most educated about 67% of millennials will have degrees from universities unheard of. Currently right now, the dropout rate in America, it is the lowest it's ever been. More kids are graduating with diplomas from high schools than ever before. An amazing generation. The challenge of your generation is you guys think you know it all, you know a lot, and as old people, we don't know too much. The challenge is the world is duking you out. It's getting you to think yeah, you know this particular lifestyle that people want to live? There's nothing wrong with it. Yes, there is something wrong with it. No, we've got to love everyone. I have two neighbors. I love them. These two women, uh, they got married. They have a daughter. And uh, last Saturday, we have our annual, you know, beat your neighbors. So we go pick out flyers around the neighborhood. And we say, hey, show up at our house. Bring your coffee mug. We're going to give you coffee, tea, muffins, blah, blah, blah. And you can come greet your neighbors. 8 o'clock in the morning. And last Saturday was the coldest day of the year. 22 of my neighbors showed up at my house at 8. Awesome. Left at 11 o'clock. My, and, and the reason I did it, I, we were going to do it anyway, but my neighbor down the street, Ruth, she said to me, she goes, Greg, she goes, you haven't done your coffee thing for all of us. I was like, yeah, you're right. It was like a month ago. I was like, I can get on this. So I talked to my wife. We pass out our flyers. Ruth comes in. She kisses me. She gives me a hug. She hugs me the entire time we're there. Like all of our friends. Really. She's giving me a hug. And then, you know, her wife, she's giving me a hug. We love this guy. And I share that because, guys, we have a great relationship. She approached me a couple years ago. She says, you know, I really like you. And um, I know you're a minister. And I wondered if I could go to your church. And I said, of course you can go to my church. And she says, well, would it, you know, I don't know what your church believes on same-sex marriage. And she went through the whole thing. And so I said, you know, well, why don't we just talk about what I believe the Bible says. We're not going to talk about the church, what the Bible says and where my convictions are. And so we had a great conversation. It was not the conversation she wanted, but you know what happened? And this was four or five years ago. We left the conversation where she completely understood. She appreciated my stance. And I said, you know, I have... 
three nephews and two nieces who are, uh, you know, homosexual. And I said, I love them to death. So when I give out Christmas presents, they get Christmas presents too. They're not treated any differently. I share that because I think one of the great battles the church will face is millennials and us older people. The world is saying, no, 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 no. Acceptance is you agree. I don't agree. They're not terrible people. And I share with my nieces and nephews. I have another nephew who's my oldest nephew who lived with his girlfriend for, what, five years before they got married? They need to hear me say, Uncle Greg, the minister, is not pleased with that situation. Just like Uncle Greg is not pleased with your situation. And I said, the difference between the two is no one's married. And then for those, I'm like, well, you know, I don't think God gives you the grounds to be married. But that can be said and done with great gentleness, great heart, great convictions. But I believe the Bible is the standard. Let's turn to Romans uh, chapter 15 in closing. Come on, Greg. Romans 15, verse 4. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know, I remember as a kid, Grew up with a mom who raised seven children, so we were very poor, lived in a house about 900 square, uh, you know, curvy. I mean, it wasn't a big house. I remember begging for this bike, and it was an evil Knievel bike. <laughs> I finally got this bike. And I remember that morning in Florida, you get on the bike, and you just ride all day, rode all day. Well, you know, the weeks and days went by, and I got a flat tire, so I had to repair it. So one Saturday morning, I, uh, well, Friday night, I got the inner tube out, and I had my little inner, my little glue, and you light it, and you put something heavy on it, and so overnight you let it set, and the next day you get up, and it's good. You put it in the tire, you pump it up, we're good to go. Well, how about, I forgot where I put the little screws, the little nuts, to tighten the tire. But my friends are like, come on, Greg, we're leaving. So what do I do? Like, I don't need them. So I take the tire, and I just push it down on this thing. And I'm like, this is good. Sure enough, it was good. Guys, I was riding for hours. Hours upon hours forgetting that I didn't have any screws on it. On my way home, my friends had set up this ramp. And you know, I've got the evil Knievel bike. So you know, I've got to show them how far I can go. So my friends rolled their bike and they went first. And my friend hit the ramp and it's like, wow. I go, I can do so much better than that. I start pedaling. Pedal hard. I hit the ramp. As I flew in the air, my front tire flew further. And I'm assuming my eyes probably got really large. I'm like, so I come down, I slid on my chin. My bike flipped all over me, and I got up, and I ran into the house screaming. See, I have forgotten. I didn't have any screws. As Christians, have you forgotten? See, maybe like me, you have this outer garment. You've been doing it for a couple years. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. I hear the lessons. I go to midweeks. I'm going to our costume party. But as soon as you hit trouble, the truth of who you are is revealed. Come on. Come on. I learned the lesson that day on that bike. 
There was a man. He took a bottle of medicine from the medicine cabinet. Looking at the instructions on it, he said, I'm sure they're correct. I have all the confidence in the source of this medicine. It was a common medicine that people took all the time. He goes, and I know that those who wrote these instructions, they're correct. I believe everything about it. I know this will relieve my aches if I just take it. But he took the medicine, put it back on the shelf. And no surprise to us, his ache, his aches continued. Yet he could say, I believe that the medicine works. I believe everything written on the bottle. But you know what? It's like our faith. We believe in Christianity. We believe the Bible. We believe that there's a God. But brothers and sisters, if we do not act, we are like the guy with the medicine. I opened up with the title, God's impact is obvious. Is it obvious in your life? Because if it's not, challenge. We need to begin to live for an audience of one. It is all about God. Number two, we need to go back to realizing His Word is the agent of change. And if we do that, we will bring great honor to God. It will be obvious to Him, and it will be obvious to us that God is moving. Thank you guys so much. Love you.